0: Pelicans. And you're listening to 88.5 WMNF Tampa.
1: Turn it up. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational
2: only. Hello out there, my dear friends, and thank you for keeping your radio tuned to WMNF Tampa. And absolutely, positively welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. Today, the good and sage doctor is going to talk to us about gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. You are encouraged to participate in this discussion or if you have any related medical questions by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to dj at wnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Well, a good morning to you, Dr. Fred. Your topic today addresses gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. I think of celiac disease as an immune reaction to eating gluten, a protein found in wheat, rye, and barley. Over time, this creates an inflammation that damages the small intestines lining, leading to medical complications and also preventing the absorption of some nutritions. Just recently, somebody here at WMNF pointed out that my weak jokes and puns are really just a celiac of my own design. So, Dr. Harvey, where do you want to go from here?
1: (laughs) Once again, Bill, you've given a fabulous introduction. Thank you.
2: And I apologize to no one for that.
1: (laughs) So, yes, today we're going to talk about uh, gluten and uh, how humans have some interactions with it. I love modern technology, though, because I am um, broadcasting today from the high atop the Allegheny Mountains in central Pennsylvania. I'm in my hometown, and uh, it's really a a nice experience to be able to do this. And probably cooler there too. Oh, much so. Um, 63 degrees this morning. So, gluten. Gluten. We've heard a lot about it. A lot of people don't believe that it even exists. (laughs) A lot of people don't believe that if it does exist, it causes problems. However, you know, we have things that cause problems. And gluten is one of those. Gluten is a very interesting, um, <clears throat> I guess we could call it a protein, but really it refers to the proteins numerous in cereal grains like wheat, barley, and rye. And gluten is found in a part of the grain seed called the endosperm. It is a um, um Part of the seed that is used, um, um, it's got the most nutrients in it. And and the nutrients in there nourish the um, uh, germ, um, the seed germ in the middle, while it germinates and becomes a full-grown plant. Um, It is these um, um, chemicals, starches and proteins that are in the endosperm that we grind up to make flour. Gluten is an interesting group of proteins in that it acts like a glue. And it acts like uh, um, kind of a rubber band, too, because it holds the um, um, dough together, so to speak. It's got elasticity. And um, so it it affects that chewiness of uh, baked products, like the way you chew through a piece of pizza. Um, Gluten is a mixture of hundreds of distinct proteins, all within this similar family. Um, And it's primarily made up of two classes. One is called the gliadins. G-L-I-A-D-I-N, and that gives the ability of the bread to stick together. That's the glue. And gliadin is the one we react to the most, but glutenin is another uh, uh, one of those, and that is, is what creates the sticky elasticity of, of bread dough. And um, so both of those are are very interesting, interactive proteins, but there's many of them within the class. There's also many other uh, proteins in the grains like globulins and um, uh, uh, farinins and um, um, many others, many of which we can react to. So. Where is it? It's in some grains, not all grains. Wheat, rye, barley, spelt, and kamut, K-A-M-U-T, are the principal ones. And other other places you might find this in foods, um, it, names like wheat berries, uh, durum, emmer, semolina, farina, faro, graham, like graham cracker flour, Chorasan, K-H-O-R-A-S-A-N, that's the, I believe, the red wheat from the Eastern Europe area, einkorn wheat from the Alps, triticale is another name, T-R-I-T-I-C-A-L-E. All these um, are glutinous grains, Um, but not all grains do contain them. Um, Some of the gluten-free grains are sorghum, millet, brown rice, buckwheat, wild rice, amaranth, quinoa, corn, and teff. T E F F, that's the African grain. Oats are also gluten free. But you have to remember that many oats are processed in factories that contain wheat. So, unless it says gluten free on the oat label, it probably could be contaminated with small amounts of gluten. And we'll get into that later <clears throat> about the small amount contamination. But people have heard of glutinous rice. That's glutinous, G L U T I N O U S. That means sticky, not glutenous, filled with gluten proteins. And uh, it's because the reason it's sticky is because it's higher in a starch called amylopectin, a resistant starch. So that one actually is helpful for um, uh, um, maintaining blood sugar values, actually, the the glutinous rice. However, um, um, uh, glutenous, the kind that is contaminated, is found in these places. Rice like sushi rice. Um, <clears throat> sushi rice has wheat vinegar and California crab, uh, in the California roll. that fake crab is made with wheat. It holds, binds the fish pieces together. Um, instant rice mixes like pilafs and yellow rice, often Cuban saffron, risotto and paella may have different flavoring agents that are added in that have gluten in it. Um, buffets are often contaminated because people will switch um spoons and bring gluten into the buffet rice. So that's a questionable. Uh, how do you avoid it? A gluten-free diet. So um, <clears throat> not everybody needs a strict gluten-free diet, but we can talk about that here coming up as we talk about the conditions. Um, and so I want to make a distinction here. There are several different ways of gluten interacting with human bodies. And <clears throat> we have an a, a immune response called wheat allergy. It's extremely rare. I'm not going to talk much about it, but I will uh, a bit. Um, in other words, an allergy, uh, a true allergy is when the body's immune system responds through something called IgE. It's an antibody. IgE antibodies are what trigger allergic responses. And um, so, when you get a, a substance in the system that's, that's foreign, Sometimes you might be in a position to react to it, but not everyone does. And wheat allergy is one of the least frequent allergies that I have found when I test people. IgE does not turn positive for wheat very often, but um, another set of antibodies does, and we'll talk about that. So we have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So this means that people can react to gluten. We have also gluten sensitivity um, of, of a, uh, I've already talked about the allergy type, and then we have celiac disease, which takes it to the next level where it becomes a full-blown autoimmune illness, and so those distinctions are really important because um, they uh, arrive at different levels of reactivity. Obviously, somebody who has wheat allergy needs to avoid it because they might go into anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is when your whole body kind of shuts down with a reaction to an allergy. You can get asthma from it too. Um, Hives everywhere, those are allergy reactions. Don't see many people getting those kinds of things with it. But when you get um, um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, you start to get symptoms. And the symptoms are similar uh, uh, for most food responses. um, But um, this is why it sometimes is misdiagnosed as simply irritable bowel syndrome. Personally, I believe that irritable bowel syndrome is a catch-all phrase for people who don't want to follow the, the path down to a real diagnosis. Um, because IBS is not really a diagnosis. It describes these symptoms, bloating or gas, diarrhea or constipation, nausea, headaches, brain fog, joint pain. You don't usually get neuropathy with it, but this comes with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, fatigue, abdominal pain, changes in mood. All of these things are are found in the non-celiac gluten-sensitive person, but also they sound a lot like the irritable bowel syndrome person. And so... um, Primarily, the diagnosis of non-celiac gluten sensitivity is arrived at via history and some testing for celiac markers to rule out the genetic predisposition to celiac. And so um, when we look at this, really, it's primarily history. And we often find that the diagnosis can be clinched when they get out of the gluten habit. Um, so why do they get it? Lots of reasons. We've had changes in agriculture over the past century. We've had significant changes in diet. Um, the changes in agriculture, we have changes in the, uh, uh, way we deal with food, the diversity of food. So decreased diversity and hybridization has resulted in increased amounts of gluten in the grain. So we have more of that protein available for reactivity engineering some genetic engineering has occurred but not much with wheat it's mostly hybridization and then when we hybridize it up we spray it with pesticides herbicides many non-organic wheat products have been sprayed with the herbicide roundup to dry it out fast so they can move on really quickly um, and it could be roundup that's actually breaking down the gut membrane and creating a problem with the um, uh, way we deal with um uh, antigens those are foreign substances coming in it may break down the lining of our gut and create a a problem there that is more immunogenic creating immunologic reaction. So I think that uh, we are going to get some interaction today with guests but first uh, let's uh, uh, identify the station this is WmnF and we are in Tampa. And I think we should actually ask for some callers, too. So email us or text us uh, here at the station. Uh, email dj at um, And
2: Do you, phone- can- you want me to give out the phone number to folks? Go for it. Save Bell, you I- from that. And remind folks that they're listening to Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And we're looking forward to you participating by calling 813-239-9663. And we've gotten a smattering of emails, but continue to send them at dj.wmnf.org. And you can also text us at 813-433-0885. Back to you, and we'll keep our fingers crossed, Dr. Harvey. Wonderful.
1: So uh, we do have an email here. And um, my wife is, uh, this is from Dave in Clearwater, and uh, his wife is celiac and is also sensitive to the protein in animal milk. Um, is it necessary to avoid caramel coloring or caramel? Um, well, caramel is made from um, animal product, Um, so it would probably be wise since the protein is going to be in that product. Um, it's likely that it will, um, react. So, um, yes, I think, uh, and sometimes caramel coloring, uh, is, is made from a process that might actually even include gluten from what I understand. So anything that has those extra colors in, we should probably avoid. Um, so, um, getting back to more descriptions about it. Um, so again, non-celiac gluten sensitivity is interesting in that they've said that it's not an allergy. You know, we, we know that, but for years, uh, gastroenterologists have not found the celiac markers associated with this. However, um, in 2016, There was a really nice study published in the British Medical Journal, um, and it was um, titled um, Intestinal Cell Damage and Systemic Immune Activation in Individuals Reporting Sensitivity to Wheat in the Absence of Celiac Disease. A lot of words there. What it found, though, was that in people that do not have the genetics required to produce the autoimmune disease, celiac disease, these people actually still have damage to their intestinal cells, and systemic immune activation. So I have read on um, websites like the celiac disease website and the non-celiac disease website and the gluten-sensitive website, they're saying that people don't get the inflammation. They don't get the cell damage. Well, they do. And we now have evidence that they do. So this is actually a real condition. It's not something that's a figment of somebody's imagination or they found a fad. Gluten sensitivity really exists. And gluten sensitivity can cause some real damage, even in the absence of celiac disease. And so um, it's important that we understand um, where these things show up, how to get rid of them. And understand that yeah, we do have an ongoing problem here that can create future illness. Think about it. Why would you have neuropathy? <clears throat> Why would you have neuropathy? Why would you have brain fog? Why would you get um, depressed mood or anxious mood in somebody who doesn't actually have a reaction? It's obvious that this is going on, and it's deep. And you know, they've I've also read that. Um, stool markers don't show up positively, and the endoscopy doesn't. Well, you may not find the full uh, celiac pathology on an endoscopy, but I look at stool tests on a regular basis, uh, practically at least one a day, and um, I find that um, stool immune markers are often abnormal. There's a marker called eosinophil protein X that is an allergy-type marker. It doesn't have to be solely allergy. Other um, things can react with it. But when that's elevated, you know you're having gut reactivity. And I've seen that. You can also see the secretory IgA. Okay, that, that's a big one. Secretory, I means it's being secreted by a system. This one's being secreted by the lining of the gut. IgA is immune globulin type A, which is the type of protection antibody that our gut puts out on the lining to protect against invaders. So we can see that one be up and abnormal when you're having non-celiac gluten sensitivity. It's not well um, um, documented in the literature, but I've watched it happen clinically in numerous testing. There's another test that I like called the intestinal barrier assessment. Um, That one comes from precision point diagnostics and they do a really good job of looking to see if you have leaky gut and leaky gut can be caused by this condition. So what what they do is they they look at the chemicals that uh, are associated with leaky gut, histamine, uh, diamine oxidase. They look at uh, zonulin um, and these are all associated with leaky gut and they can all be abnormal when you have gluten challenges. Um, there's another laboratory that I like called Vibrant America. Vibrant America does something called a wheat zoomer. The wheat zoomer lab looks at about 19, I think, different wheat proteins, and it looks at zonulin and actin and myosin um, on the lining of the gut to see if you have leaky gut. <clears throat> it also looks at wheat allergy. And honestly, I've done hundreds of these, and I have not yet found a single positive wheat IgE. So, no wheat allergy. But I do see people reacting to wheat in a lot of different ways. And what's interesting is I see people that have leaky gut and symptoms, even when they don't react to gliadin or glutenin, the big gluten molecules, they're reacting to other molecules in the the endosperm of the grain. They're reacting to farinins and globulins and proteases. There's all kinds of different proteins in there. And you don't have to react only to the gluten. So we can call it gluten sensitivity because it covers that whole big group of a hundred proteins, but it's really much more nuanced than that. And when you go to your regular doctor and he does your quotes, celiac test or your gluten test, it's looking at one protein, it's called alpha gliadin, looks at one antibody called IgA, um, or I might look at two, I might look at IgG, anti-alpha gliadin, and yet it doesn't look at all the other proteins. So if you turn up that you don't react to alpha gliadin, which I find happens often when I test people, they react to other molecules in there, including glutenin, um, you will miss it. And if you do the celiac test and you have negative celiac genetics, many doctors believe you don't have a problem here. So even if you have a negative celiac genetics, then you still may have non-celiac gluten sensitivity and you need a stool test. You need better quality, Uh, nuanced uh, food sensitivity testing like the intestinal barrier uh, assessment from Precision Point, like the Vibrant America Wheat Zoomer, like the um, GIFX test from Genova Labs. Really very forward-thinking, very um, um, useful tests. And they really help us understand um, how we um, are reacting. You can get some really good details. So, and that brings us to the big bad autoimmune disease, celiac.
2: Can I interrupt you for a second and give out the phone okay. number again? Please do I, it. I want to get people involved in this because it seems like celiac and these types of uh, gut sensitivities are a little more prevalent than uh, we really give a lot of credit for. And I think that folks are maybe a little shy for calling on in on it. I don't know. There's some hesitation.
1: Because anybody with um, um IBS, um, irritable bowel symptoms, if, they, if they're having trouble with bowels at all, it could be gluten-related.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and we want to hear from them. So I'm going to tell folks you can participate in this program, and we're looking forward to you doing so by calling 813-239-9663. And you can send us an email at dj at org, and continue texting us at 813 813- Four three three zero eight eight five, and it looks like that had a little bit of luck, so we'll give them a couple of minutes to, or seconds to check on in and give you some airtime there, doctor, while we find out who they are.
1: Wonderful. So what is celiac disease? Bill mentioned it on the intake. It's an autoimmune disorder. It affects around 1 in 100 Americans. It's much more prevalent than we ever thought. I, when I was training, we thought maybe 1 in 10,000. And then when I started practice, it was one in in a thousand, and now it's down to one in a hundred approximately. It's actually maybe even a little over 1% of all people because we keep getting more toxicity. With um, glyphosate in the wheat products, you end up with getting more wheat reactivity. So the um, gluten intolerance is the key here, and the afflicted people um, attack uh, the bowel tissue very much, but once the bowels attack, these antibodies spill over into other areas, um, and and with the, with the leaky gut, um, you, you get other other involvement. So there's a classic um, um, pathology that gastroenterologists have di- uh, uh, described over over years, and it was because of this description of physical anatomy that we got a very narrow definition of the celiac disease. For years, people didn't believe anybody who didn't have villus atrophy um, in the intestines did not have any kind of wheat problem, wheat sensitivity problem. villus atrophy, villi, are the finger-like projections on the surface of the bowel, on the lining of the bowel. These really, really tiny, microscopic, um, two-cell thick, um, you know, um, micron-sized little hairs, so to speak, come off the lining of the gut. They are the absorptive surface for the gut. And when you get villus atrophy, these villi, it's like you get your fingers cut off. You have nubs, and the nubs aren't doing much grabbing. They're not able to grab onto the nutrients, so you end up getting um, nutrient malabsorption and nutrient um, malnutrition, basically. You got absorptive malnutrition, and so the small intestine isn't doing the job it needs to to bring your food in because you blocked it up. And yet, even though you can denude the entire bowel from its villi, you actually might be able to recover all of that. And so um, uh, we'll talk about um, recovering that um, uh, a bit later, but right now we have some callers on the line.
2: Indeed we do. Um, We've got Peter and Tim, and Peter being the first one in the door, let's get started with him. What have you got for us today, Peter? Peter?
3: Hey, good morning. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Um, so, I'll try to make this quick. I know there's others. Um, so, my seven year old granddaughter has had bleeding issues for <laughs> many years of her seven years of uh, life. So, um, I, I kind of jumped on it because it's my seven year old granddaughter. But, uh, yes. And um, so, I was. Shocked to find that, um, I didn't know about the, uh, uh, mineral malabsorption aspect of this. Uh, and vitamins. Yeah. She was developing teeth. You know, she was like five, four, five years old. She's developing. And it's like, wow, we really need to get a handle on this because, you know, these, these are the formative years, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, cut out all gluten and, uh, You know, that seemed to help a lot. But, um, you know, her teeth were not forming correctly, and they didn't look too good. And so uh, I I decided to look into it a little bit. And um, they live up in Jacksonville, and I was kind of concerned about the water. So I got an RO system and installed that. But while I was buying that uh, RO system, uh, there was one that finished it off. It ran through all of the filters, and then the finishing filter was... Um Calcium carbonate uh, yes. to you know add, add you know back some of the minerals that it had taken out that the reverse osmosis had taken out, so that seems to have worked tremendously uh her teeth are looking way better um and you know she's she's i would say flourishing so but um I'm wondering if I'm right with that was that do you think that had much to do with it? And also, uh, what, you know, my daughter says, well, you know, we just don't feed her gluten and that's it, ever. Well, okay, what can we do on the positive end to, um, you know, in- increase some of the nutrients that are not being absorbed as well as they should? You know, what, what steps can we take? Because if you look at, you go to the store and you look at gluten-free food, it's almost all junk. It's cookies it's it's like you know snacks and chips and junk there's no like real basic food for you know gluten-free diets as far as I well know.
1: actually i'll I'll disagree with you on that peter um a gluten-free diet um basically one way to look at it is to avoid processed foods uh, a paleo diet is completely gluten-free um and uh so You can you can do that, but you don't have to be completely paleo. There are some really good quality products out there. And here's the question to uh, uh, um, determine whether you can access stuff that is wheat-free, gluten-grain-free, but not guaranteed to be gluten-free. So there's a distinct difference in product out there. And if someone has celiac disease, they really probably should be looking for fully gluten-free products. However, there are some really good products available locally, like um, from uh, the Tampa bakery, SAMI, S-A-M-I. They make um, two lines of products. Three lines, in fact. They make a gluten line with their pita bread and and other stuff. They make a um, non-gluten grain line, but it's not gluten-free. And so their Sammy's flax and millet bread has um, no gluten guarantee. In fact, they say there's gluten on the label because they make it in their gluten factory, but they do not have gluten added. It is rice, flax, millet, um, water, baking powder, and salt. And so it's really a clean bread. Deland bakery has very many similar clean breads like that for people who don't have celiac disease, but may get by with mild gluten contamination. However, both bakeries also have gluten free lines of breads. And, um, so you can get, um, um, the gluten free breads from Sammy's and from Deland, they make it in a different facility. And so there's no gluten in that facility and the, they changed the recipe, unfortunately because um, for some reason they want to add tapioca starch to all these gluten-free products, even though they could make the same product with gluten-free product and have a good bread. Most of the gluten-free stuff made with tapioca starch for me is like Wonder Bread Pablum Nasty. Um, yeah. if you, so if, does, your, does your granddaughter have celiac or just some gluten sensitivity?
3: Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go with celiac because, I mean, she really had a, uh, she had a bad way. You know, I
1: mean, it, it wasn't- you, can a, you can have it a bad way with non-celiac. You need to know she needs she needs the privilege and the uh, help of having a gluten uh, uh, celiac test. If she does not have celiac genetics, she can't have celiac disease, and yeah. so then you I know that she doesn't have to knows. be strictly. I, I if if she's not celiac, she doesn't have to be strictly gluten free. She needs to avoid gluten product. So she needs to avoid grains that contain gluten, but if the label says made in a gluten factory, but there's no gluten on the label, like no wheat, spelt, barley, rye, kamut, croissant, or any of that other stuff, it's quite possible she'll tolerate it, because i got to tell you, I do, and I have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and I can eat those breads. But if I eat gluten breads, I tend to get the same IBS symptoms that I had when I grew up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure my daughter knows. But um, so I, I just, you know, like, again, she's in her formative years. She's growing. Yes. And it's like, OK, what can we do? To We've eliminated uh, gluten from the diet. But what can we do to, like, build up, uh, you know, the absorption of some of these minerals and vitamins that is apparently not able to be absorbed as well if you have a gluten issue? Uh, well, I would I would get somebody to
1: help um, make sure her gut is doing well. Um, you could get stool tests. You can um, uh, if you haven't had the genetic test, get the genetic test. I think it's really key. Ah.
3: Uh. Okay, and that that would tell you what she's missing
1: or? uh, No, that would tell you whether she has celiac disease or not and whether you need to be a fanatic about gluten. And then once you know that, you can actually adjust the diet um, uh, accordingly and make more things available that maybe don't say gluten-free on the label but don't have a gluten grain. Okay, okay. You can do this rationally and take it step by step. Get a HLA-DQD8 celiac disease um,
3: genetic panel. Okay, one more time. HLA.
1: HLA HLA-DQ-2-DQ-8, but basically ask for a celiac genetic panel, and they're going
3: to give you that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Celiac panel. Okay. Well, I noticed DQ was in there, so that must mean Dairy Queen. Exactly. Okay, that's what I thought. Well, I would pass that one. Um, All right. So that's a celiac panel. Okay, great. All right. Um, I guess like spinach and, you know, things, nutrient-dense.
1: Yeah, look up, look up the, look up the paleo diet and find her a nice, uh, high density chewable um, multivitamin at age seven, and uh, get her some chewable um, uh, fish oils. Um, she definitely needs omega's to heal that gut.
3: Oh, you know what? My my daughter is a raging militant vegetarian, and uh, she she won't get okay.
1: Me, your seven year old's going to have trouble getting beyond this for a while. Then
3: I know, I know.
2: Um,
1: uh, um, best wishes. Have a great day, Peter. All right, doc.
3: Enjoy your vacation. Thank you for everything. Bye-bye. Thank you.
2: And, of course, we have Tim waiting patiently. He's in Clearwater. Good morning, Tim. How are you today?
1: I am well, thanks. Can you hear me? Good morning, Tim. Good
0: morning. So I actually have celiacs and was diagnosed in 2014, so I was uh, just a little bit over 50 years old. Um, Yep my GI doctor said you have a a high you are highly susceptible to cross contamination his first order was to avoid gluten but also to go home and throw away all my pots and pans so i do have a severe case and it's been a process and one of the comments i would like to make is that for me when i first would get gluten Um, in that first three, four, five years, I would get a very bad stomach ache and it would tend to go away. Um, But over the years, um, it's gotten progressively worse. If I get cross-contaminated or get directly glutened, it's, a you know, first, it's four hours almost on the number. You start sweating profusely and you start, your body rejects uh, the food at you know, multiple, uh, areas. So it's, it's not a pleasant uh, process. So I'm very okay. diligent about not eating out. So my question first is over time, does your body acclimate to saying, look, I'm just not used to having this substance. And it, you know, now it's just, like I said, it's gotten to the point where when I do get gluten, it's a very difficult evening
1: yeah you know um celiac's really difficult that way um and there are other things that can make your immune system trigger happy so to speak so there could be other things on board that bother you besides the gluten and maybe if you looked into that and were able to avoid some of those things like i've noticed excuse me some people um Uh, Alcohol can be a trigger, uh, coffee can be a trigger, dairy, um, and other food sensitivities. You might want to actually get a whole food sensitivity panel to see what other things you might be reacting to, because if you take out um, some high reactors, then the rest of the system tends to relax a bit.
0: Interesting, interesting. And then, so one other phenomenon too is, first of all, I love French fries. And um, nine times out of ten, when you go out to a restaurant and have French fries, it's going to be in a fryer that had something breaded in it with wheat flour. That's However, so true. I will tell you, I will tell you this, that um, much like some vodkas, and I don't drink, but I've read this, that um, they are made from wheat, but they are triple distilled. And the, the purveyors or the, the manufacturers say, um, they are now gluten-free, and and I haven't gotten sick. I've tried those. But the same thing with um, the French fries is that when I have them at restaurants, I never get sick from that. And I'm wondering if there's this thing that at a high temperature, it does burn off or kill off whatever gluten sensitivity I have in that experience.
1: Well, for the alcohol, um... Um, the alcohol, the ethanol itself, is a volatile, and the um, gluten is not. So even if you have wheat vodka um, and you distill it, it's it's highly unlikely that any gliadin or glutenin or anything is going to make it through to the other side of the distillation process. Um, but um, in homeopathy, we talk about the energy too, and I have noticed that certain. Um, um, alcohols bother certain people. Like a, a, a wheat vodka will bother someone, whereas a corn or a potato vodka doesn't. And so I don't believe that there's a uh, enough molecular stimulation coming through there that it could actually be an energetic thing too, because we're all energy. I, I just I don't know. I don't have a solid one on that. Um, uh, but um, the. As far as frying, people still do react. And so the best thing to do is your your French fries at home or find restaurants. And there are more and more of them showing up with dedicated gluten-free fryers.
0: Absolutely. And not only dedicated gluten-free fryers, but they've sectioned off a part of the kitchen That is a gluten-free kitchen. So, yes, the world is changing. And then one other comment and a question, and I appreciate and thank you uh, for both of your time, is that, and I I haven't traveled to Europe, but my understanding and what my reading and some stories that I've uh, heard from other people is that other people that have celiacs, when they go to Europe and they have pasta or they have a bread, that quote unquote has gluten in it because of the minimal amount of processing over there versus here, their bodies are able to um, to eat it and consume those products. And yes. the other reading that I've done, and and I'll comment on this, and I don't know if it's an opinion or if there's been any studies, but it that um, there is a connection, and I have a heart condition too, that they're starting to study this, that when you have celiacs and you have a heart condition, there is a morbidity factor um, involved in that, and those two things together are not a very good combination.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, Inflammation um, in in light of Cardiovascular disease is a a setup for a heart attack. So yeah, that's not not a good situation. But going to the European issue, several things to unwrap there. One, on vacation, everyone's less stressed out, so there is less reactivity in the body. Two, you're on vacation. You want things to happen right. Placebo effect may actually be at foot there. Um, Three, knowing about um, European gluten sensitivity, um, well, another thing, they do not spray Roundup on the wheat in Europe, okay? so But then looking at the Europeans who have since the Italians have known it for years. There's a company, S-C-H-A-R, from northern Italy in the mountains where there's a lot of, um, um, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes from those Aryans. Um, there's a company called Share. It's been there for 40-plus years. They have been making yes, gluten-free products. Yes. And, and so has uh, Jovial. Um, they're also a Northern European company, 40 years of making pasta gluten-free. These people do get gluten sensitivity, but I think that the other factors are involved there. Better, better food product um, and uh, um, um, better attitude. (laughs) But I have found um, uh, that uh, when I travel, like I'm in a a gluten-free desert here in Central Pennsylvania, so it's hit and miss. Um, I found some enzymes, and I'm not going to give you the name of the enzymes, but there are some gluten-assist enzymes out there that may take the edge off. It's still a minefield, though, Tim, and I think you already know this because you have celiac, and I just have non-celiac sensitivity, so you have a worse thing to deal with. So you learned how to dodge this stuff.
0: I actually changed my career. I used to travel. I was on planes um, four or five days a week, four weeks a month, and I changed my career to be able to control my diet um, in that regard. And then one other thing, and the other thing that I've read is that because of that, that wheat is traded as a commodity in the United nice. States, therefore it is held and kept until prices may potentially rise that a lot of experts also surmise that there is mold in our wheat flour and that that helps contribute to um, the toxicity levels of it.
1: Tim, that's not just a thought. That's well documented. In fact, I do treat mold toxicity in my practice, and I will find um, mold sources from food in people when we have eliminated the environmental factors. It's there. It's real, um, and, and it's, even if it's invisible, it doesn't mean it can't hurt you. That's the problem, and our, our Western medicine tends to ignore it until the tumor shows up.
0: Right, right. And so that's what happened when I was diagnosed. They found several um, polyps on my small intestine, and uh, thankfully they were benign. But apparently what happens is when you get gluten, when you do have these things that make it through your body, they tend to collect on your small intestine, and it could then become a uh, a problem, and I, I uh, I'll hang up and stand down. I really, really appreciate the subject today, and um, uh, was excited to hear and um, excited to jump on. So, thanks again for your time. Appreciate you both.
1: Hey Tim, I appreciate you. Thanks for the input. That's great. Sure. Bye bye.
2: Yeah, I knew we'd get a couple of good callers if we gave on out the phone number, and we are getting down to sort of the caboose of the show. Maybe about fifteen more minutes. So let me give on out the number and email one more time and invite people to give us a call at 813-239-9663 or continue sending your emails to dj at WMNF.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Back to you, Doc.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, it's funny. I expected that we might see... Um, a few more uh, phone calls today on on this show, since a lot of people are um, wondering what to do about their diet when it comes to um, these kinds of of challenges, because they really are. And and like I said, I'm I'm traveling here in Appalachia, and it's it's not easy to find um, uh, a lot of gluten free stuff. Unfortunately, I'm not celiac, so. Um, I was able to get a little piece of quiche this morning um, before getting on air, but I scooped it out out of the the delicious looking crust because it was the only thing on the menu that I could actually extract from the gluten because everything else was sandwiches. Um, and um, yeah, we do see a lot of fried foods around here. and um, so yeah, it's 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 a difficult. Uh, problem for for many of us to try and get through because of of the way our society is set up and we we know so much revolves around eating um gluten products uh actually the place i went to today they had gluten-free on the menu which is one of the reasons i decided to go there and the um uh the 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 cook i was chatting with he said he, he giggled when i a- asked him <laughs> if uh he was going to be, uh, if there's anything gluten-free and indeed there, there really wasn't much going on there. So, um, uh, but he was, he was laughing about how they do order some stuff. Um, he makes one, um, one dessert. Um, and, uh, but it was in the freezer. <laughs> and so you see, it's, it comes, becomes a little difficult, um, when, when you're working with this kind of stuff. So, um. Yeah. What, what do we do? What do we do with celiac disease? What, what happens um, when we've got it? Well, as with everything I talked about here, um, we have to first remove the reason we're getting the problem. So we need to step out of the way of gluten. And we've talked a little bit about that, finding different products, uh, avoiding those grains, uh, looking for cross-reactivity. Tim was very helpful in reminding us that deep fryers fry gluten products. And so we have to watch out because, you know, you might get um, a nice uh, um, um, piece of sushi, but the sushi rice has the gluten in it. Um, And sometimes they even wrap it up in a wheat batter and dump it in the tempura fryer. So you get a double dose of gluten. Those crunchy rolls are not necessarily um, the best um, for us. And so um, to heal, what do you do once you've avoided the gluten once you've got on your gluten-free diet um, fish oil a wonderful thing they've shown that um, uh, uh, larger doses of fish oils um, getting between um, five to ten grams of actual omega-3 a day or think about it many of the capsules you'll find like at costco or whatever have like 200 milligrams in so that means you take 20 of those pills to get to four grams. You want to look for high dose fish oil. You want to look for a a single capsule that has 600, 900 milligrams of fish oil. And so you only need to take, um, you know, two of them three times a day or three of them three times a day. That's a lot, but it does get the gut to heal. It's highly anti inflammatory. Glutamine, L glutamine, is an amazing amino acid and it really helps um, to heal the lining of the gut. In fact, your small intestine where Tim was talking about where he had the damage in the polyps, that's where the villi go away. And the glutamine helps to rebuild the villi in your small intestine to rebuild the ability to, uh, absorb nutrients. I think we have a caller.
2: We actually have three. We've got Amy T and Pauline. So last 10 minutes here, let's get started with Amy. Good morning, Amy.
4: Okay. Hello. Uh, thank you. I'll try to make it quick. Um, okay. I just didn't I haven't been able to listen consistently, so maybe you already said it, and I I know you know that the process of American-grown wheat is that they, when they right before they harvest it, they spray it with Roundup to make it die That's because right. it's easier to to get all that dry, when it dies, it dries out. And it's easier to get more wheat on a tractor that than it is when it's wet. It's lighter, it's easier to haul, it's faster production. So that's yep. the reason to spray it. Now, what we're saying is that the wheat is sprayed with a herbicide right before it's harvested. Yes. And so that is what my understanding is contributing to um, the leaky gut and types of things like that. So I just didn't want to forget that we go to Italy. They don't even allow Roundup to be used, right?
1: That's correct. But Monsanto Um, is working. Monsanto is now part of Bayer and Bayer is strong in Europe and they're trying to get Roundup and GMO crops that take Roundup over in Europe. And I hope that they fail significantly. Thank you. I still, so I still don't understand to, why I don't understand why the company Bayer that made the poison pills for the um, death camps in Nazi Germany. I don't know why that company is still allowed to exist, but it is for some reason. And now they're one of the largest poisoners on the planet, poisoning all of us and all of our food.
4: Right, because okay. when you have the richest man on the planet basically, you know, buying stock and all these things, that makes a difference.
1: Actually, no, they were already doing that well before um, that man got involved. Well before.
4: (laughs) Okay. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. I totally agree. Thank you. And I just wanted, uh, I was hoping you could speak more about rebuilding the microbiome after taking
1: antibiotics. Absolutely. And that's part of this whole problem too. Microbiome is so key and taking a great probiotic also helps us deal with gluten sensitivity. So we want to get one. Remember, I've talked about this in the past. The probiotics need to have license plates after it says lactobacillus acidophilus. You want to see in parentheses after that LA14 or some other sort of alphanumeric designator, knowing that that is actually a patented genetically identified strain to make sure it's one for the human body. Great. Thanks. Thanks. They want to get
2: one. Remember I about Oh, Kidoki, let's go on to T in Riverview. Good morning, T. Hi. Hi there.
1: So,
5: um, uh, I did not even know anything about having gluten sensitivity, but however, we did go to Portugal where they didn't have GMOs in the food, and yes. all of us did better, so that was a great thing. And then uh, my allergies went crazy. I got really sick and during treatment for my allergies, they wound up sending me to a rheumatologist who said my Crohn's markers was elevated and then he tested and did genetic testing and said you're one gene negative and one gene positive for celiac. He said we don't know what that means, um, but yes, gluten-free and see if things get better. And it has taken a lot of years, but things are a little bit better. <laughs> Um, I don't swing through the doors as much, which is great. Um, My GI isn't perfect, but it's better than what it has been. And I wanted to say thank you to you for having this conversation about gluten sensitivity because people look at me like I'm crazy, and I know I'm not.
1: You are definitely not. And if you have one positive celiac gene, you have the predisposition to celiac disease. And celiac disease creates other autoimmune disease that's one of its that's one of its specialties so your crohn's may have actually come from celiac we do know that even one gene can take you down that road so strict gluten avoidance for you is one of your keys and um you need to work on your microbiome Um, a um, if you do you know about the um um the diets for um, inflammatory bowel disease, like the um, um, FODMAP diet or the um, specific carbohydrate diet?
5: I, I, I am gluten-free. I don't know about the specific diet, but what um, what I do know is since all this has happened, that uh, they can't find any autoimmune disease, but nothing really goes right. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about... Um, when I had uh, COVID vaccine and my TI yeah. went crazy. Yes. Um, and I do know that it's certain things that do trigger it. And I'm doing my best to figure out all my triggers because certain, certain, certain things just don't work for me, like certain things that they tell you. So for me, it's been trial and error. And for right now, I'm actually doing pretty good.
1: Good, good. So um, if it does flare up things to look at, Specific carbohydrate diet, FODMAP, okay. FODMAP, diet, those may help with the Crohn's. Um, but, um, yeah, you have the underlying autoimmune disease, celiac, from my perspective, and it caused a secondary autoimmune disease called Crohn's. So as long as those are being under control with your gluten-free uh, uh, state, that's excellent. Fabulous.
5: I just appreciate you so much, and thank you so much for your time, and you are a super, super guy.
1: Thank you. You're so welcome. Have a, good have a great day. day.
2: All right, well, we only got a few more seconds, but let's see if we can get Pauline in under the wings here. Good morning, Pauline.
6: Hi, Dr. Harvey. Hi. Um, Good thanks morning. for this excellent discussion. I have um, been diagnosed with non-celiac gluten sensitivity um, yep. by, by um, a holistic practitioner here in Tampa, um, and I never really noticed the, um, you know, the physical... Problems of bloating and and Pain in the gut Um, I I did suffer with Severe depression You know for most of my life until I You know started being Under treatment with a Holistic practitioner Um, And after that it it Slowly improved and now The depression is gone and You know it's just amazing That's Um, wonderful so glad to hear it I, I do have I am suffering with stage four cancer right now um, under treatment for that partial remission. Um, Thank goodness. Um, But you mentioned something about
1: tumors. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, celiac disease causes chronic inflammation. And what we know is that chronic inflammation is the cause of all of our degenerative diseases. Cancer being a degenerative disease is one of those things. So as we put more stress on the cells in our body, eventually they... Uh, deteriorate, and sometimes with enough genetic predisposition and environmental toxicity, we head down that road, and we end up with a cancer, and so, yes, celiac causes cancers and many other things, but we are down to the end of the show, and I think it's time to wrap it up. Thank you, Pauline, for your call. Thank
2: you. Yes, very much so. Thank you, Pauline, and it looks like, as you said, we are at the end of the show, so have you got any hints or clues or sneak previews you want to give us for next week's show doctor next week i want
1: to talk about those irritating annoying forever chemicals the persistent organic pollutants that are showing up more and more in our environment and are part of the reason that we are seeing more and more allergy and autoimmune disease
2: i think that'd be a great topic we're starting to read an awful lot about that so I thank you very much there, Dr. Harvey, and everyone who called on in, and all of our listeners. And I suggest, take care, stay healthy. Y'all are the greatest. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. <clears throat> Seconds away is five minutes of NPR news, and then we'll present Sustainable Living, hosted by the award-winning team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. Today they welcome to the show Catherine Campbell, and we're going to be talking about commercial urban agriculture in Florida. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.